We remain standing with me for the reading of Scripture. We'll read this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. Let's read together. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. We celebrate God's majesty on the mountaintops and draw upon God's strength in tragedy. But most of our life is spent somewhere in between the extremes. Our lives are filled with ordinary time, the day-to-day and the in-between. How can we live our in-between lives filled with God's power and presence? How do we find God in our day-to-day situations? How do we meet God in the ordinary? Good morning. My name is Brandon Blackson. I'm one of the associate pastors here. I'm excited to be with you and to get to share with you this morning. I've been really excited about this sermon series, Everyday Faith, Finding God in the Ordinary. And it seems like a lot of times whenever we think about our faith, we think of something that applies during the really big moments, whenever life change is happening, you know, whenever we have, you know, our, we're baptized, whenever we have faith, whenever we go through those really tough times as well, whenever we, um, whenever we have something we're going through, illness, losing a loved one, any of those things. And, and then there's just the ordinary times and times in between our faith. I think we also, uh, times in between those big moments where our faith applies. We also sometimes leave our faith on Sundays and, uh, you know, we have, we come to worship and then there's regular life and, and then Sunday rolls around and it's worship time again. But, but God's in our every moment, not just the big moments, but the small ones as well. And then not just on Sundays, but every day. And so during this series, we're looking at how God is present in our everyday lives and, and the really ordinary mundane stuff and how we can experience God's presence as well. So we've been going through this for a couple of weeks. Two weeks ago, we had um, Pastor Mark preached a special sermon with Rabbi Vered Harris of Temple B'nai Israel, and uh, they talked about how Christians can show love to their Jewish neighbors, specifically after the shooting that happened at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. And, um, and one of the things that Rabbi Harris shared for us is that there, there are big events like the shooting that, uh, that are not usual, but Many of the many of our um, many days, what's not unusual is just the kind of everyday prejudice that different people face, and particularly our Jewish neighbors. For them, the the kind of comments and and sometimes even hateful attitudes are, are really depressingly ordinary. And and so the challenge that she shared with us and that Pastor Mark shared with us was to train the children in your life to speak up when they hear jokes based on racial stereotypes or putting down women. That sometimes people just kind of say these things, and sometimes they mean to be harmful, or sometimes they don't, but but they are harmful. And so train the children in your life, and, and uh, maybe Maybe we can train ourselves too, because it's not just important for kids, it's important for all of us. And so that, that was our takeaway from that message. Last week, Pastor Andy shared with us about uh, taking God to work. His challenge for us was to honor God through the mundane parts of your work. Because, you know, there's just, there's just a lot of stuff in our work that, that is not really that exciting. You know, you've got emails that you have to worry about, and you've got paperwork that you have to do, and then you've got more paperwork that you have to do, and, and you've got these kind of mundane dealings with coworkers, and, and all of these different things that, that are just not really exciting, and sometimes it's difficult to find God's presence in them. And, and yet those moments can also be moments where we glorify God. So that was our, our challenge from last week. 
This week we're looking at where is God whenever things kind of break down, whenever we have these just little ordinary breakdowns that we face so often. And I think you know what I'm talking about, just the things that, that don't quite go as planned. Whenever you're, uh, you're running late and, and then you hit traffic and it's worse than usual and, and you, you are just stuck. Sometimes it's the same as usual and you just didn't plan adequately, but, but you're still stuck and things just didn't go right. Sometimes it's, you know, something someone says that can kind of throw you off. Sometimes it's something at work that didn't go the way you had planned. But there are just all of these little things that, that aren't much on their own, but that sometimes we allow to throw off our whole day. And so, uh, so that's what we're looking at today. And, and the sermon title is The Parable of the Lost Keys. Now, don't go look for that in your Bible because it's not in there. It's not a parable that Jesus told. You'll just be frustrated if you go look. But, uh, but this, is, this is that parable. Once there was a dad, and he was responsible for getting his daughter out the door into daycare before he went to work. And uh, he had an important meeting that he couldn't be late for, and so he was really trying to be on top of everything. And so he, he got her fed and then went and got her dressed, and, and after that, you know, she was about ready. So he went to gather up his things, and by the time he came back, she had taken off the clothes that he had just put on her because she didn't like that outfit. She hadn't chosen a new one, but she didn't like the one that she had. And so he took a breath picked up the clothes off the floor, and, and with uh, not too much struggle, he put them back on and, and then moved on. And, and finally, everything was together, and, and they started walking toward the door, and he felt in his pocket that he couldn't find his keys. And so he, got, he was frustrated because this was like, this was like the optimal time for leaving. And, and if he left then, he would be fine. And if he left in a minute, he would not be fine. And so he started rushing and, and hurrying through the house. And, and for some reason, if, if he ran, it would, it would get him to the bedroom a little bit faster, even though he'd have to slow down so he didn't run into something. And the net time gain was minimal, but he, he wasn't thinking that clearly. And so he went and he looked on his nightstand where he usually put his keys and they were not there. And he looked on his dresser because, you know, that, that's a, a, a surface that keys could rest on and they were not resting there. So he kept looking all the places, the kitchen table, ca- cabinet tops, and, and all those places, nowhere could he find his keys. And then he thought, I've got a small child. I bet she took them and put them somewhere. So he said, quick, where did you put my keys? I've got to find them. Tell me where you put them. And she looked at him and said, daddy, I don't have your keys. And he said, I, I know, but, but you had to have put them somewhere. I can't find them. You moved them. She said, daddy, I, I didn't touch your keys. And he, he let out this sound and it, I, you'd call it a growl probably. And, and he kept moving. At this point, he'd reached the point of desperation. He wasn't even thinking of logical places. He figured, you know, maybe I put them someplace completely illogical. So he opened up the refrigerator because, you know, that stuff happens sometimes, no luck, and opened all of the cabinets. And then he wanted to make sure that he shut them properly. So he put a little bit of extra force on to closing them and, and continued looking. And, and uh, then he, he thought, okay, my wife must have picked them up. So he called him and said, and, and she said, hello. He said, where did you put my keys? And she said, excuse me? And uh, he said, I, I'm late. I can't find my keys. Did you move them? And, and she said, you might want to rethink the way that you're talking right now. And so he said, oh, bye. And, and he hung up. And, and, you know, at this point, he was just totally desperate. And he was just kind of throwing stuff around. And he, there was a pile of stuff on the couch. And so he started throwing it. And he, he, whenever he threw his jacket, he heard a jingle. And he realized the jacket he'd worn the night before had them in the pocket. And so he got them and uh, thought about apologizing, and then he thought, no, I'd have to admit I was wrong if I apologized. And he just swept up his daughter, and they went out the door. Has that ever happened to anyone? It has not happened to me either. (laughs) There have been a few mornings that have come close, though. 
But, you know, we have these, these just kind of everyday breakdowns. We set our keys somewhere and we can't find them. We, you know, we're at work and, and we had this, this email that we thought we sent out a week ago so that an important project could move forward. And then we just happened to open our drafts folder and there it is. And no progress had been made because we forgot to hit send. We, someone says something and it's the wrong thing. Sometimes we get caught in traffic. There are just these little breakdowns that happen to us. And, and the way that we respond is really important. We all have these little breakdowns in our lives, and they happen just about every day, and, and I don't know if I'm just more aware of them, but since I, I've had a small child, they seem to happen more frequently, or at least I'm, I'm, I respond more poorly to them, less good anyway. But, but these breakdowns happen so frequently to all of us, and the, the way that we respond really matters, because whenever these happen, and whenever we're stressed out and frustrated, usually the people around us are the ones who, who bear the brunt of that, right? I mean, whenever we're frustrated, the people that we care about are the ones that are, that are convenient and at hand, and, and subsequently, if, if we have anger that needs to go somewhere, we think, here's a convenient target. Of course, not in those terms, but that's effectively what happens. Sometimes it's not just anger. I mean, we, we frequently get Get frustrated when these happen. Sometimes it's just, you know, something goes wrong and, and we don't know what to do and we just kind of shut down because of that. But whenever we encounter these breakdowns, which all of us do pretty much on a daily basis, the way that we respond really matters. It really matters. And, and so I want you to think about whenever those things happen to you, how do you respond? Whenever you have, you have planned something supposed to go a certain way and it doesn't and it kind of throws things off, how, how do you react? How, how does that manifest? I'm going to show you a a video. I want to see if anyone has had an experience where you react like this. Sir, we were unable to acquire the droid on Jakku. It escaped capture aboard a stolen Karelian YT model freighter. The droid stole a freighter? Not exactly, sir. It had help. We have no confirmation, but we believe FN 2187 may have helped in the escape. So if, you, if you're ever the one giving the bad news and you're asked anything else, the correct answer is no, just, and walk away. So most of us probably are, don't react quite that way, but it hits a little bit close to home, right? Sometimes things go wrong and, and we just uh, we let things get out of hand and, and we lose our tempers. And frequently, that's, uh, the, it's the people we care about that, that bear the brunt of that. And one of the things we find is that these breakdowns reveal things about ourselves that we'd prefer to deny. They're things that, that we'd rather not have to deal with ourselves, and they're especially things that we don't want people around us to know about us. But, you know, sometimes I, I find that uh, I like to think of myself as a pretty calm and collected person, and I find that whenever I'm in those situations of trying to get out the door and wear my keys, and, oh, my daughter is changing clothes for the third time this morning, I, I am not quite as patient as I thought I was. They, they reveal things about ourselves that, that maybe we'd, uh, we'd rather not acknowledge. And yet the thing about these, and I think this is why this is so important, is that these moments that reveal things about ourselves that that we either don't want to know or or don't want others to know about us, 
us is, is that though we try to hide these, um, these breakdowns, they can also be moments where God's grace shines. They can be moments where God actually works in us and transforms us. So, so these moments that, that we're uh, on the verge of losing it or giving up or, or whatever your response is, they're not just moments to, to not act out or, or not respond badly. They can also be moments where we experience God's grace. They can be moments of transformation. So that's, that's my hope for today is, is that however you respond, whatever the breakdowns in your life are, that whenever you experience those things, they won't just be things that you go to or things that you respond to reflexively, but that God can actually be present in those and can transform you in the way that you experience everyday breakdowns. So we're going to look to the scripture this morning where um, we've been talking, we read from earlier, um, 2 Corinthians. This was written by Paul to the church at Corinth. Paul founded the church in Corinth and he stayed in close communication with them. And uh, after he founded that church, he moved on and he'd raised up leaders so they could take over and he moved on to other communities where he could serve and start new churches, minister to other people, and, and yet he stayed in touch with them. And so... Um, he would write letters, he would go back and visit. We know of at least three letters that he wrote, maybe four or even more, but um, the, Paul wrote one letter that he refers to in 1 Corinthians. That one has been lost, but then we have 1 Corinthians, and then uh, 2 Corinthians was another letter. Some scholars even think that was originally two letters that were combined at some point. And, and so Paul's, Paul did a lot of communication with the church at Corinth. He had a close relationship with them. He visited them multiple times, and, and they, were, they were a church that needed a lot of his attention. And, and maybe Maybe that was why, you know, sometimes it's the, the squeaky wheel that gets the attention, but, but he, he would spend a lot of time working with them because he would find that, that he would kind of get them straightened out and, and teach them what they needed to know so that they were living the way that the followers of Jesus should, and then he would go away and turn his attention elsewhere, and they'd fall back into old habits, or they'd fall into ways of living that were not consistent with the life of, the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. So, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter that, that a lot of us here at weddings, that actually comes from Paul writing to a community that, that was fighting and trying to outdo one another and, and figure out who was on top and put themselves above others. It, it wasn't anything like holy. It was like, all right, you guys have to stop fighting. This is what it's really about. It's about love. And so this community got kind of mixed up easily. And luckily, Christians today, we're in a different boat and we've got it all figured out. But, but Paul spent a lot of time working with the Corinthians trying to help them. And, and so in this, the situation that he's addressing in these chapters, chapters 10 through 13, someone had come in after he had left the last time and it had begun teaching things that were contrary to what he was teaching and also undermining his authority as an apostle. I don't think Paul probably cared a lot about his re reputation except as it pertained to his teaching that he, he taught the things he taught because they had been revealed to him by God that, that he was passionate about the gospel that had been shared with him and so people undermining him would undermine those truths as well and lead people astray. We don't know exactly what they were teaching or what they were doing. We just kind of have to read between the lines of, of what Paul wrote. He refers to them as super apostles, and um, so just a hint is that he didn't actually think they were super. He, he was not big on those folks. But he, he started talking, he started writing to the Corinthians about uh, basically wh why what he wrote was trustworthy, why what he had taught them was trustworthy. And so he kind of went through and talked about his background and his upbringing. He said, you know, th these people say that, that they are, that they're Hebrews. I'm a Hebrew as well. They say that they're children of Abraham. I'm a, um, a child of Abraham as well. They say that they're ministers of the gospel, and so am I. 
he continues, he even goes on and, and talks about how, how much he suffered for the sake of the gospel. He, he lists all of the things. It's, it's a really phenomenal chapter, but he talks about being whipped, about being beaten with rods, of having people throw stones at him, trying to kill him, about being imprisoned, and all the things that he's gone through. He, he even at one point in Damascus was surrounded. The building that he was staying in was surrounded. He had to be lowered from a, a window in a basket. One of the things that he doesn't list is that he also sacrificed his dignity by being lowered from a window in a basket. But Paul suffered all of these things for the sake of the gospel. He then goes on and talks about the things that God had revealed to them. And, and in the first, um, first seven verses of chapter 12, he talks about these revelations that God revealed to him, that, that his spirit was taken up into the heavens, and, and God revealed to him things that no human knew and that no mortal could repeat. And, and so he talked about kind of his credibility. He, things had been revealed to him by God, to, by God to him that were even beyond description. And so all of those things he, he's listed, and then he wraps up his argument, basically why they should trust him and what he had been teaching them. And, and what he concluded with was by bragging about his weakness, by bragging about how weak he was. I took a public speaking class in college, and uh, I missed the part where they talked about a really good way to end a persuasive speech is by talking about how weak you are. Did anyone get that? Right, I mean, so this is counterintuitive. This is not exactly the way that you tie up a nice argument or, or you advocate for yourself. He, he talks about how weak he is. And so this is what he talks about. He, he goes through all of these things and, and uh, all these things that, that he's been gifted with, all the things he's done. And then he goes on and he describes a thorn or a stake in his flesh that he asked God to remove three times. Now, if, if you're familiar with this passage, you've heard it before. We usually translate it as a thorn. I have this thorn in my flesh. It was given to me by a messenger of Satan. Satan is what he says. And, 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 you know, if you've ever experienced a thorn, you know they're unpleasant, right? If, if you've ever been working with a rose bush or walking by a rose bush, I, I don't like roses that much because of thorns, but, but they, they hurt, right? They scratch you or they dig into your skin, they catch your clothing, they're, they're unpleasant. But the pain that they inflict is more a nuisance than anything else, right? I mean, mo it would be difficult to get seriously injured by a, a thorn on a rose bush. Another way of translating that word, though, is, is a stake, and not like a, just a tent stake, but like a sharpened piece of wood, and it was the kind of a stake that you would sharpen. You'd then put it in a hole in the ground that you would try to hide so that in war, that your enemies might fall into it and be injured because they fell on top of these sharpened stakes. It was even something that sometimes was used to torture people. And, and so that, that changes things if you think of it that way. Paul's not just talking about a nuisance, but something that was really causing him suffering suffering and struggling. So this is, this is what he says, therefore to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. And so Paul had this, this thing, this thorn or, or this stake that, that was really causing him serious issue. He doesn't say what it was. Apparently it, it didn't matter to him that people knew what it was. And so you know, we've spent a lot of time uh, in um, scholarly works trying to figure that out. Maybe we don't need to if Paul didn't think we needed to know, but, but, but this was something that was serious for him, something that was causing him serious pain and that was standing in the way of the work that he was trying to do, which he was trying to do for God's glory. And yet this is the response that he received. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. 
Now, this is one of those verses that maybe you gloss over, but, it, but if you read it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because whenever I think of power, I don't think of weakness. Do you? Whenever I think of power, power is made perfect in strength. Power is made perfect in might. Whenever I think of political power, I think power is whenever you say something and, and people do it and it happens. Or whenever I think of physical power, I mean, it, it's, it's strength. It's how much can you lift. The more you can lift, the, the more powerful you are. My power is made perfect in weakness. It doesn't make sense. And yet it's this paradox at the very heart of the gospel that tells us about the way that God's power works, about the way that God's love works. Because we stand in in front of this cross, which if you're in the first century, like why would you have that up there? Because that's something that is used to execute people. And, and unless you're the one who's actually hanging people there, unless you're the Romans, it's, it's not a symbol of victory. It's a symbol of defeat and fear and terror. And yet in the moment that Jesus was hung on the cross, whenever he was completely helpless, God's power was revealed. God's power was made perfect in his weakness because that, that moment of utter helplessness was the way that God brought healing and forgiveness and salvation to all of the world. And it made way for God to show his power over death when he rose Jesus from the dead. In weakness, God's power is made perfect. And so whenever we think about our our lives, whenever we think about what this means for us, so often we are really concerned with being in control. We're really concerned with being strong. And, And I think a lot of times whenever those little breakdowns happen, the reason that they're so frustrating is because they shatter for us the delusion that we're in control. We have things under control. And yet one of the things that we realize is when we acknowledge our own weakness, we can rely on God's strength. We can rely on God's strength because we realize that our strength on its own is not enough. And, you know, we know that, but I don't know about you. I'm pretty bad about putting that into practice. I I act sometimes like God's not going to do anything, and if I don't do everything, then nothing's going to happen. And yet sometimes it's whenever we, we stop trying to control everything, whenever we stop, trying, whenever we stop believing that only our power matters is the only way that things can change, is then we discover that God's actually been working the entire time. Then we discover that God has a strength that, that is made perfect in weakness, and that's so much better than anything that we could have. And so whenever you're in those situations, whenever things break down and don't go the way that you think they should, whenever you're trying to get out the door and you can't find your keys, God's grace is sufficient for you. Whenever you're stuck in traffic and and there's a meeting that you cannot be late for and you are definitely going to be late for it, God's grace is sufficient for you. Whenever things at work are not going the way that they should, whenever things are breaking down, whenever the numbers are not where they need to be, God's grace is sufficient for you. And even in those really big breakdowns, even whenever it seems like everything is falling apart and there's nothing you can do, God's grace is sufficient for you because God's power is made perfect in weakness. What we find is these little ordinary breakdowns in our lives can be opportunities to receive God's grace whenever we're willing to accept that we can't do everything, but we have a God who can and who loves to heal us, who loves to forgive us, who loves to help us grow. One of the things that that these moments can become are are moments for us to experience grace. You know, we talked earlier about the things that that are revealed by these moments. I've experienced a revelation that my patience is not as good as I thought it was. These can can actually be moments of healing when, when we realize these areas where we need God's help, and then we ask for it. 
and then God helps us to grow. It can be moments whenever we realize an area where we really need to, to change the way that we're living, the things that we're doing, whatever we need to repent. We can ask God's forgiveness and change. We can ask his help to change our hearts. And they can even be moments whenever we learn, whenever we learn new things, whenever we learn new ways to live in the world and, and new ways to follow Christ. So one of the things that I learned is that I'm really bad whenever I get home about putting stuff on whatever surface is most convenient. Does anyone else do that? A few of you may live with people like that. Pray for my wife. But I, I just kind of throw things down. And so one year, I, I was at a Christmas party. We were playing White Elephant. And, and I, I pretty much always go for a wrapped gift just because it might be the best one. And, and so I got my gift and I opened it. And it was this little silver tray. It was not actually silver. It was like sterling silver or something. And it had a, a large mouth bass in the center of it. I'm not much of a fisher. And, and a little fishing pole on the side. And I thought, all right, somebody better steal this and get me something else. And then I realized this would be perfect to put my keys in. And so I kept it, and it goes on top of my dresser. And now my keys make it right there whenever I get home at least 60% of the time. <laughs> but, but this, I'm, I learned something. I learned that I have a tendency to just throw stuff wherever I feel like throwing it. And whenever I'm trying to get out the door the next morning, that, that makes things hectic. And it makes me respond in ways that, that are not all that pleasant for the people around me. And so these little things that, that go wrong can sometimes help, us, help to teach us. And hopefully the things that we learn are, are even better than, you know, maybe get a dish that you can put your keys in. Although if that's where you start, that's great. God can work with that. And so here's what, what I want you to think about, about our action steps. We want to find ways to live this out this week. And so here's what I want you to do. Pay attention to the little breakdowns you experience and how you're tempted to respond. You know, sometimes those things just happen. And if we're not reflective about it, we just think, you know, well, that person really messed me up and made me late. And then our whole day is thrown off and we just kind of move on to the next thing. But, but sometimes we can realize, you know, um, maybe it was not my wife's fault that I left my keys in my jacket and uh, I shouldn't have treated her like it was. And even if it was her fault, probably I need to watch the way that I speak to her. They can reveal things about us. So notice where those happen. And especially if there's a pattern, pay attention to that. And then whenever you learn things about yourself, and especially whenever you learn those ways that your response falls short of how God might have you live, take time to review your day and to confess your sins each day. Because these breakdowns reveal to us areas where we need God's help, where we need God's forgiveness, and where we need God to transform us. And so take time to, to review those and confess those things to God. God, I really messed up today. I, I need your help. Forgive me. Transform me. Heal me. And then finally, whenever breakdowns happen, take a breath. It's amazing how much just taking a breath can do, right? And ask for the power of Christ to dwell in you. Say, God, things are not going the way I want them to right now. I don't want to just react. I want to respond the way that you would have me. Show me where your grace is present. Show me how you can transform this moment from something that feels like a breakdown to, to something that is wonderful, something that is amazing. Show me where you're moving in this moment. There was a dad, and um, he was getting his daughter ready for school one day. He had to get her to daycare and then get to an important meeting. It was one that he could not be late for. And uh, so he got her into, the, into her chair and fed her breakfast, and two-thirds of it ended up on the floor, and he had to change socks because he stepped in half of a banana. 
he got those socks changed and got her dressed and uh, learning from past mistakes decided not to remove his eyes from her but took her with him as he went and gathered the rest of his things and then got to the door and felt in his pocket and his keys were missing. And so he started looking. He went to this nice dish that he had on top of his dresser and, and they were not there. And then he looked in, in the jacket that he had worn the night before and in pants pockets and on every conceivable surface. And finally, he, he thought, you know, I'll, I'll ask my daughter. And he said, honey, have you seen my keys? I can't find them anywhere. And she said, I was playing with them last night. And he thought, oh my gosh, you have to be kidding me. And he said, honey, can you get them for me? Do you remember where you put them? And she thought for a minute, and she said, okay. And she ran off to her toy box, and down in the deepest, darkest corner where he never would have found them, even if he tore apart the toy box, she found some keys and pulled them out. And he thought, I need to tell her. And then he stopped, and he took a breath. And he realized, I have a daughter who watches me and who wants to be like me, and so she plays driving because she wants to be like I am. And so instead of blowing up, he said, thank you, God, for this gift. And he got her in the car, and he drove to the meeting, and he was late, but he didn't get fired. <laughs> That's never happened to me either. <laughs> but I'm praying that God will help me to respond that way whenever things go wrong in my life. Because God takes these little moments, these little breakdowns, and turns them into something amazing, turns them into opportunities for us to, to show everyone the areas that God has not yet gotten to in our lives, that we've not opened up to God's healing and, and transformation, and instead turns them into moments of grace. Because we follow a God who does not just care about us in the really important moments, in the big moments on Sundays or whatever day we're in worship. We follow a God who transforms our every moment and our every day. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful that you care for us every moment of every day. You care for our every breath and everything we do. God, you know that we are limited, that we are not in control of everything because you are, and that sometimes we mess up Sometimes we get things wrong and sometimes things just break down. So God, we ask for your grace in the breakdowns. We ask that you would transform those moments, that you transform us, that you'd help us in everything to find you, to experience your grace, and to be changed. And because of that, to change the way that we live in the world. God, we pray all these things in the name of Christ. And we join together now to pray the words that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.